Hey, welcome to the Rooted to Live podcast. I hope you're doing well today. I'm looking forward to sharing some things I've been thinking about lately. Um, But before I do that, I just want to say thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, Rooted to Live Ministries really began a year ago this past week, and it's been amazing to see what God has done. And This podcast is only a few months old, but you've helped it uh, by supporting it, by supporting the ministry. Uh, It's been heard in 11 countries and 26 states so far, and I don't even know who all the people are, of course, but my hope and prayer has been that people would be encouraged to really live in the love of God and to love other people as they're loved by God. And today I want to consider with you a principle of life. I've been thinking about some principles lately. Principles of life, some examples would be like um, uh, what goes up must come down. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Maybe you can even finish some of these for me. Uh, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's some more tricky ones that are out there. Um, He who questions training only trains himself to ask questions. If you can balance attack hammer on your head, you can head off your foes with a balance attack. That's one of my favorite ones. Maybe it's not quite a principle of life. If you build it, they will come. Maybe you've heard these things before. We all knowingly or unknowingly follow rules of life. Uh, Some are put upon us by nature. Others we choose for ourselves. Got to look out for number one or do what feels good. Work hard, play harder for that kind of nonsense. He who has the most toys in the end wins. I remember that bumper sticker being posted on trucks like in the 1990s. I don't know. I wonder if those people are winning in life. Or maybe just the busyness of your life, you realize the principle of whoever gets the most naps wins. That's something that we've been thinking about lately in my home. Today, we're going to talk about a rule of life ordained by God that really applies to all people. It's found actually in Galatians chapter 6. And in this letter to the Christians in Galatia, we find that They were told that salvation comes by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. However, they seem to have chosen rules to live by when living out their faith that weren't really consistent with God's grace. They really went one of two ways. A, um, or one, they they were following the old religious laws to maintain or get salvation. And and two, some of the folks in this... uh, in this uh, faith community in, in Galatia a long time ago, some held a belief or attitude that actions have like no eternal consequences because God's grace promises heaven or the kingdom of God. So when you come toward the end of this letter that Paul wrote so long ago, you'll see his concluding remarks and, and pleadings. And Paul, toward the end, uh, illustrates his heartfelt instruction um, by sharing like a common rule of life. This is Ephes- or Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Maybe you've heard this before. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So that's the rule of life. That's the principle to think about today. You reap what you sow. And now we know that whatever seed is put into the ground, eventually if nurtured, that seed produces the fruit of that seed. Uh, apples to apples, oranges to oranges. And this is how nature works uh, by God's design. And Paul is saying that applies to the way all people live as well. See, the deception believed by some in Galatia was the lie that I can do whatever I want without ever being held accountable for what I've done. And Paul is saying through illustration that that belief totally confuses reality. Paul says in light of this rule of life that a person reaps what is sown, that we ought to not be deceived, that the rule still stands and that God cannot be mocked. The word for mocked is a very descriptive word in the Greek language. The word means to turn up the nose, to sneer at, 
to show contempt for or to ridicule. So almost all of us, I would say, I hope we could all be honest in admitting that we've all experienced uh, being mocked at some point in our lives. But God will not be mocked. It's not that he hasn't been. There are plenty of biblical examples like Goliath, King Herod. What this means is that God will not let it go unaddressed. The phrase, God cannot be mocked, emphasizes the immutable rule of God that you will reap what you sow. The person with the mocking God attitude believes that God is wrong and I am right. The person holding this deception essentially thinks that God, you're stupid and I'm wise. God, you'll, you're, your ways are a lie and my ways are the truth. So the idea is that although people may fool themselves into thinking that they are, there are no consequences for actions, God cannot be fooled. Paul is reminding and warning then his readers of a rule of life that applies to all people. And to really be forewarned is to be forearmed. We are all sowing because we're all living. We're making choices, but the question is to what end are we sowing? And there's really just there's just the two options. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, the first part, part A. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. So the first sowing option is sowing to our sinful nature. The, the sin nature of the flesh is the born inborn desire to be in control, call the shots, um, satisfy ourselves, or live in our own wisdom. This nature reminds or remains even in the believer's life, Romans chapter 7 tells us, verse 18. But it's slowly dying till God's kingdom comes. So sowing to the flesh is characterized by a life that participates in the kind of things that we likely all agree are harmful and immoral. However, flesh can also be our religious action by our, our strength, our legalism, or our attempts to earn from God that which he has already freely given in Christ. So it can be this idea of what I do in my own strength and in my own power to make myself righteous. That, that is the flesh. That is why Paul can say in verse 21, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom. And in the Gospel of Matthew, why Jesus is recorded as saying to those that did seemingly good religious activity without trusting in him, he says, I never knew you. Paul, sowing to the sinful nature, basically is communicating that it will produce a harvest of destruction or corruption. So the word destruction or corruption... Um, uh, means like um, going from better to worse, like decaying food. So I don't know if uh, those of you listening have experienced, like if you have uh, several uh, kids in your family or just even one child in your family and you have graduated from maybe a cool sports car to the dreaded mi minivan, um, if you've experienced the idea of decaying food, it'd be like um, you hand snacks back to the kids and I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about other people, of course. Um, you hand snacks back to the kids, you can hand them an apple, or maybe you go through McDonald's and you go through a drive-thru and you pass back the food, and then four months goes by and you've decided that it might be a good idea to vacuum out your car because you've gone to the beach twice and you brought half the ocean home with you. And you find some disturbing pieces of what looks like might have been food at one point. We all understand the concepts of decaying food. So if we follow a rule of life and we do what feels good or I can do whatever I want without consequences, we're going to experience decay. We're going to experience like corruption and destruction. So the rule applied here is that if we sow destruction, we reap destruction. If we sow corruption, that's what we reap. So we've all done this to one extent or another. We've all done this 
And then that's not a surprise. Yet oftentimes we get surprised by the consequences, don't we? We're deceived into thinking that the rule doesn't exist, that you you can't you can't sow to the flesh all day long and then complain in a sense when you reap a harvest of corruption in your life. What did I expect? What did you expect? I'm reminded this principle, um, you are what you eat. That's what's coming to my mind right now. As a kid, I always always confused about that. What do you mean? I love what I eat. I love ice cream. My Twinkies are amazing. Come on. Why would I want to be that? But now I get it. When you eat garbage, you'll eventually feel like garbage. So in a sense, if people sin against their own bodies, sooner or later they will pay in ruined health. I think we all can agree to that. Sadly, though, some people think that since they aren't currently seeing destructive consequences for their choices, that just maybe they never will. And when we do that, when we live like that, we're deceived. Others, even understanding and believing the sowing and reaping principle, say, well, if I have Christ, I've got the promise of heaven someday, and I made a decision to go to heaven, I want to go to heaven, and if there are no regrets in heaven, then what does it matter how I live now? And what I'd like to say back to that thought is appeal to relationship. I want to appeal to relationship here. So how we live matters because it matters to God. If that's not compelling enough, then I, I mean, is it? How can we have the confidence that really God's redemption or salvation even rests in the heart? <laughs> the person who thinks they are heaven bound, but also believes that God doesn't care about how they live, is deceived. Maybe they don't even know the God of heaven and earth. I don't know. Uh, he actually cares about the, about the totality of who we are, about our body, our soul, our spirit. So God will not be mocked. He, he will not reverse the rule of life, that actions have consequences. You you can't fool God into thinking that things are cool when they aren't. But there's another way to sow. Back to Galatians chapter 6. Now it's verse 8, the second part, part B. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, so the rule here is applied as, sow to please God's Spirit, reap God's rewards. The question then is, is, how can I do this? How can I sow to the Spirit? Well, sowing to the Spirit brings with an understanding, within an understanding that I cannot make myself righteous or holy and continues by investing our lives in those things that are spiritual or last for eternity, some might say. So what could that be? Well, our souls, ours and others, and God. This investment then is achieved through the Spirit of God, not through the flesh. It is the same as um, as the idea is walking by the Spirit, like we can read in Galatians chapter 5, or as abiding in Christ and His Word, like we read in John 15, or walking in Christ, Colossians chapter 2. It's, it's living for what brings God pleasure over what satisfies our sinful nature. Simply put, sowing to the Spirit is being... Um, preoccupied with the things that God is about and that which produces his character in our lives. Being preoccupied with the things that God is about. So people, usually, right? Truth, justice, mercy. And that which brings or produces his character in our lives. Those same things. It's allowing the spirit to enable us to like love the unlovely or forgive the seemingly unforgivable. To own joy by looking to how loved and lovely we are in God's sight, even in the midst of unpleasant circumstances, or to freely choose peace in what our flesh wants to be anxious over, or practicing patience when anger and frustration is what our flesh demands. See, when we don't sow to the Spirit, we don't experience the fruit of His presence in our lives. That is why when Christians are in sin, we experience the conflict between our sinful nature and God's Spirit within us. But consider what is at stake. What is the harvest of sowing to the Spirit? 
the text says this phrase, and it may seem strange. It says, and you reap eternal life. It kind of sounds like that he's saying that people earn eternal life by doing the right kind of spiritual farming, doesn't it? Like if you are a good spiritual farmer, then you'll get heaven someday. But but much of what Paul has already written in this very letter undoes such a false view. The scripture clearly teaches that salvation is a free gift, that, that the scriptures teach that the one who has the power to impart eternal life is the Holy Spirit. Actually, furthermore, the, the Bible tells us that the people are, that are included in Christ and his kingdom, when they are the people that hear the good news, when God sends the, his spirit to them and awakens their heart, illuminates their heart and mind, and upon repentance and faith in God's love, redemption in Christ, forgiveness that's waiting is received, and the promise of his indwelling spirit comes. That So that would mean our only grounds of acceptance in Christ is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ made on our behalf. That's it. However, our connection to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is by way of a faith that does indeed act out in what we sow. So those who live in the Spirit do so in faith, which is evidenced in responding to God's overwhelming love by faith and life, which pleases God and will look like active obedience. Not obedience to get God's love, but faithful steps, action of obedience because we're so loved. People that are in the kingdom of God kind of people reflect their kingdom uh, boundness, if you will, by how they live, what they sow. So our lives are the indicator of our relationship to God. So the reaping of this connection then is eternal life, both in quantity, thus the word eternity beginning now, and quality, like his holiness growing in us uh, beginning now. So Paul is saying in chapter 6, verse 8b, when he talks about this idea of reaping eternal life. That if you sow to the Spirit, you harvest that which lasts forever, for eternity. However, again, every believer is not perfectly reflecting the quality of eternal life that is given by the Spirit. I don't think any of us are yet. It's a process. Sometimes with my clients, when I'm meeting with them and I can see how much they really identify themselves with their sin and their shame, I'll say, I don't think you're a hypocrite. You're in process. Can you just let yourself be in process for a minute? Any sin in our life robs us of the enjoyment of the eternal life, our spiritual rewards that God grows in our life, even on this side of the kingdom, on this side of heaven. It's a process. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So true followers of Jesus, this is me speaking now, not Paul, People that are adopted into his family, as Galatians 4 puts it, possess, are possessed by God's Spirit, possess God's Spirit, a God-given desire within them to sow to please the Spirit. So in light of this rule of life and the two kinds of harvest that exist, destruction or eternal life, Paul wants to bring a word of encouragement to those that desire to live for God's glory. That's the next verse, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Isn't it true that even when attempting to live to please God, and what pleases God, Hebrews 11 tells us, is just faith, trusting in Him, taking a step. Faith is what pleases God. But even when we're attempting to live that way, a faith-filled way, sometimes we just really aren't sure what difference it's making. We aren't really sure who's reaping what. So we become discouraged, don't we? Paul actually anticipates this for the believers in Galatia and the Spirit of God, I think, anticipates this for us. That's why this word is preserved for us even till today. 
I think Paul anticipates it because I'm sure he faced it himself. You can't always see the fruit that's that's on its way. There was a missionary a long time ago, William Carey. He was really like the first modern missionary to India. And starting in 1793, he just started preaching the gospel and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and the love of God to anyone that would listen. And this actually continued over the next seven years with no one saying yes, no one having any desire quite yet to say, listen, I want what you've got, William. And then it was in 1800, so seven years after he arrived in India, he was privileged to baptize a new friend in the Ganges River. Seven years. See, there are times that we labor and labor in doing good, but seem to find no fruit. Nothing externally indicates that what we that we're having success in what we're doing. We face the struggle of, as Paul puts it in the Galatians six, losing heart and doing good. We may even begin to say to ourselves, "I'm tired of trying." Is that you? Are you t- are you tired? Paul says, and God's spirit resonates. Don't grow faint in the pursuit of doing good. Press on. Don't give up. Uh, don't give in to evil by discontinuing the good. Your greatest tempt- uh, temptation is that you would get tired. The word weary here in the text means that we relax in our faithfulness. Don't lose heart in doing what is right and what is of the Spirit. As God alone causes our growth in Him, we receive a reward, which is really more of His life in ours, His character in us. And that's the reward of our labor. So let me just add this, and it's just come to my mind right now, that um, I just want to make clear that sowing and reaping is not karma. Um, Karma is the philosophy that we sow earthly seed and we reap earthly rewards in this life or in the next try, if you will. But God's word encourages us to sow to the Spirit to receive that which the Spirit gives or rewards, the kind that lasts forever. But we have to be persistent. Paul's saying, don't give up. We, we, mustn't, we mustn't give up. We can't give up. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, just the next section, I um, want to read it for you. It says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those belonging to the family of believers. So in light of this rule of life, Paul is saying, there is so much good to be done in accordance with the Spirit of God, and we shouldn't give up. However, the good to be done requires something. You've got to be involved with people if you're going to do the good the Spirit requires or wants to do in and through you. Sowing to the Spirit, then, benefits others around us and in eternal ways. So a great test of our love for God is our love for others. I mean, that's really what all Scripture boils down to, is to know the love of God for ourself. That He so loved, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because of love. He demonstrated His love toward us in that way. And so now the loved person is able now to respond and love God and love others as we ourselves are loved or love ourselves, as the text says. So a great test of our love for God is our love for others. So have you ever heard this principle? Um, They will know we are Christians by our love. That's true. And true God-sized love comes through us by His Spirit. And when we sow or step forward to love others in such a way, Lives are changed for eternity. People are blessed. So we're to do good in sowing to the Spirit as expressed to others. Who needs you to take a step toward them and just love them? What enemy, what friend, 
what coworker. That would be sowing to the Spirit. So take some time over the next few days and just consider, what are you sowing toward? What kind of farming are you doing? And what is it do you think you'll reap in time? And it should matter to us, of course, because... Well, I just, let me get a little more personal and intimate here. It should matter to you because you matter to God. <laughs> I hope you're encouraged today. Take some time to consider such things. And I just encourage you to know how loved you are, how valuable you are, that God is especially fond of you. And in light of that truth, go and pursue some people today and just love them. So toward that end, and let's see what the Spirit does. Let's see what the, the harvest is going to be. It's going to be exciting.